Amen. Job, go to the book of Job, chapter 1. Hallelujah. I am going with Jesus because He's never failed me. I want to say to you what you already know if you've been here for a little while, many weeks and, and stuff. We've been, we've been announcing and beginning this Friday will be our special guest and his team who is Reverend Perry Stone, a man as many of you already know who is gifted with a prophetic word and gifted in the knowledge of prophecy and has been used of God around the world physically as his travels took him and also by way of manifest his international television. He'll be with us Friday at 7, this starting this weekend, Saturday in the morning at 10 and in the evening at 6 and we... Of course, Saturday is a little unusual in that we're having a service on that morning, but there's so much content about the power of God and the coming of the Lord. Sunday, both services in the morning and in the evening at 5. Now, here's what I'm feeling, and, and somebody confirmed it with me this morning. I'm feeling that we're coming here for a wonderful teaching and anointed ministry on the subject of the last days and the coming of the Lord. But I'm feeling and experiencing we're going to have revival. Did anybody hear me? Revival means we're going to be changed. We're going to come alive. We're going to get refreshed. Can I get an amen? I'm, I'm feeling like God is, in the Bible says, in the latter days will pour out His flesh on all people. I want to be one of those. Pray with me. Believe with me for this weekend. And participate with us. The book of Job, I want you to keep your Bibles open. I want to launch the lesson today, whose title is, Truth for Difficult Times. Ever had difficult times? No brainer in it. Yeah, we've had. Truth for difficult times. And I want to use one verse, but it'll help move us forward. I was going to say, help plant the seed, Pastor Jeff. By the way, sir, I've ate some of your wife's cooking, and it wouldn't do me wrong to have one good, was it blackberry? Is it what it is? Nice pie would be nice one of these days. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. Look at these descriptions. There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. Blameless, upright, feared God, shunned evil. Lord, help us to be like that. Put your hand this way, would you? Pray for me. Everybody, can you take about 10 seconds, maybe 15? Ask God to give me anointing and strength for my body. And I'll pray the same for you and what else you need. Father, it's Sunday. It's summer. It's the first Sunday of June. We have celebrated communion. We have sang or we have, we have praised. And now, God, I, I, I'm here today to ask you to renew our strength and embellish, oh God, the, our capacity to hear and to do. Let only what you want said to be said. Let it be said in the tone you want it to be said. Let it be said with the attitude you want it to be said. And let us receive it, oh God, in the context of which you give it to us. Because as Pastor Jeff already said, the Word is the bread of life. 
Jesus is the bread of life. The Bible is the bread of life. So we will eat even more from this bread and live to please you. In Jesus' name, amen? Amen. And you may be seated in the presence of the Lord. I want to move right into the thought that in on the screen you get some place of understanding as it relates to bad things and negative things. The Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Someone else has said when bad things happen, they often happen to the wrong person. No? All right, let me face it this way, see if I get a better amen. When bad things happen to you, is it usually happening to the wrong person? Yeah, yeah. I thought I'd get a better amen. (laughs) And I have been studying the book of Job for the last couple of weeks. And some of you that are reading the Bible through for the year and do that regularly, perhaps are in that book also. And I've come to this place where I find that the book of Job is about a man who is dedicated to God, so dedicated to Him that the Bible says he was blameless and upright, one who feared God and shunned evil, which tells me that something bad happening to him would be the wrong person to whom it was targeted. When you read a little further down into chapter 1, perhaps you'll glance down to verse 8. Here is again the word of the Lord, God describing Job when Satan challenged Job's righteousness. Verse 8, the Bible says, Then the Lord said to Satan, Have you considered my servant Job? that there is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, one who fears God and shuns evil. Now, when I say this to you, I want you to understand that this is God's analysis of His servant. Would that I would live to today, and I'm not there yet, this description, but would that I would live to today. That while I want to hear people say nice things about me, and while I want to uh, be recognized because I'm doing the right thing, and I I, I want to uh, bless others, to have God say such a thing about you. Can I get an amen? Oh, like God said about Jesus, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. How many would say amen to God saying that about you, male or female? Of course, when bad things happen to the wrong person, we're often led with a haunting question. The question is, why? Anybody ever ask the question when bad things happen to you? Why me? Why now? Why this? Job was not only a good man, brothers and sisters. He was a godly man. He was not only a faithful husband. He was a loving and devoted father. He was a good employer who cared his large numbers of servants. 
His hard work and his integrity led to a prosperous lifestyle during the latter years of his life. Because he had worked so hard earlier. Oh, hallelujah, Jesus. He had plenty of land, an abundance of food, enough livestock and camels to fund his dreams for years to come. It seemed as though his entire future was secure without a glitch. I mean, if you plan well and you lay aside, God's going to help you. And you sow your seed, like Pastor Jeff said, in more than just money, that your future is going to be secured. Not just your money future. Then the Bible says, out of nowhere... The bottom of his life dropped out. I've been watching the news and the weather some this week, and there seems to be such numerous tornadoes taking place with greater velocity and intensity. Have you noticed that in the last month? It seemed like the sky is clear, and the next thing you know, within an hour, a place has funnel clouds, multiple funnel clouds, and you're thinking the bottom has dropped out. And that's the kind of way it is with our lives sometimes. I don't wish that on you. I'm just telling you reality. And I say that to you because he lost in one day, in one day within 24 hours. He and his wife were left to pick up the pieces. He lost his servants, all but four of them. He lost all means of making a living because all of his livestock was gone. All of his farm was destroyed. All of his crops were destroyed because there was a hurricane or a part in that area it would be more like a tornado-like that came and it just, he lost all of his ten children because they were all celebrating one of the son's birthday party and all of the children are gathered together and there may be grandchildren, but it says the children lost all ten of them in one day. And and you look at this and you think about Job, whom we just described. To make matters worse, he had no clue that this storm, this trial, this difficult time was coming. Sometimes it's just good to know to batten down the hatches. That's why we have these radios and we alarm system. And that's why sometimes on the uh, uh, telephone that you have, you may have an automatic device, an app that says uh, uh, storm pending in the so-and-so area or missing child. You know, you know what I'm talking about? To get a little heads up so that you might know that difficult times are ahead. And, and I, because he did not know it even further leveled him. To the ground. I mean, literally on his property, literally in his land, everything was flat. The buildings, the barns, the storehouses, his children's home, his home, and even his own body. Later on, he lays before the Lord. Now, this brings me to several things I want to do very briefly with you. Number one is this. The truth of a difficult times is that we often do not know ahead of time the plans God has for us. Chuck Swindoll puts it this way. Job had no prior knowledge or warning that his life was going to go from 10 to 0 in a matter of 24 hours. The morning dawned like every other morning for Job. The night had passed like any other night. There was no angelic visit the night before that says tomorrow's going to be a bad day, Job. There was not a dream that came to him in the night that says there's impending danger, Job. Watch out. 
There wasn't a tap on the door the night before or a note on the kitchen table when he got up the next morning that says disaster is coming. There, there, there was nothing that would tell him that all his livestock, all his servants, all his crops, all his children, all his buildings, all his land would be demolished. And all there would be was lumber and timber and dead bodies that litter the landscape. It happened so fast, Job's mind spun in disbelief. Everything hit broadside and his world instantly changed. I don't know if you've ever been there, but I have. And it's not a pretty picture. Can somebody give me a witness? I told them in the first service, and I'll tell you in this service. Most of us remember, if you, if you, and especially a young team, we remember September 11. Pardon me, yes, the year 11. The day 11, the, thank you, 2001. I'm, I've got more than one thought going, can you tell that's why they call it 9-11. Now I got it. You remember where you were and what was going on. Do, do, do you, if, if, if you recall, raise your hands. Okay, 9-11. On 9-10, the police officers went to bed that night, not realizing that their world would be changed within 24 hours or less. The firemen who climbed all the way. Some of them literally climbed up the stairs because the elevators, because of the attack of the terrorists, extreme Muslim terrorists, who, who took command of several jets, airliners with passengers, and made their targets the Twin Towers and the Pentagon. And we are not sure where the fourth airliner was headed had it not gone down by some... Uh, very brave people who thwarted the plans of those who were flying the fourth one, and so it crashed in Pennsylvania. All those people went to bed the night before, including the 3,200 people that died on 9-11, went to bed the night before thinking the next day is going to be like it was before. Can I get an amen? And to our shock and surprise... By the time 9.15 in the morning took place on September, by the time that took place, there were two towers already down, 3,200 people. The Pentagon was hit with an impact that demolished lives and property and put our whole nation at risk. That within 24 hours or less, it changed not only millions of lives in America, but it changed our whole world. And we're still being changed. That's how life is sometimes. That's how the devil is sometimes. Somebody give me an amen by faith, not because you want it. But that's the way life is. And we got to learn from this. We, we, we never know what a day brings. Give me this slide if I have Matthew 6 and 34. For therefore do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about its own thing. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. And so the Bible tells us, trust God for now. And since God is not obliged to tell us His ways or His plans, ours then must be a walk of faith and not by sight. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. I do not know what tomorrow holds, 
But I know who holds tomorrow. And I know he holds my hand. Somebody say amen to that word. We, we have to learn to trust God when we can't feel God, see God, or touch God. Somebody else say amen. We have to cultivate endurance and long-suffering and not run away because no one has told us ahead of time what God's plan is. Whether God has a blessing or a test for you tomorrow or next week or next month, He is not obligated to give us advance notice because He's God all by Himself. He doesn't have to tell us everything. Here's one thing I will tell you, though. Regardless if he has a blessing or a trial or a test for you tomorrow, next week or next month, God always knows what's best for His children. Somebody help me praise God if you know that. So I I, I come to tell you that the way God works with us is that I have lived long enough to know that God has a plan for all of us, but so does the devil. I have lived long enough to know that I have a plan for me, but so can somebody else have a plan for me. And within those four options, and there may be more, we've got to realize that God, who is superior to all of us, does not have to tell us what's going to take place. Because sometimes if He tells us what's going to take place, oh, help me, Holy Ghost. And we come to understand that God's plan includes not only all the praise the Lord, all hallelujah, all thank you Jesus, all jumping and leaping and and happiness and prosperity. God's plan includes places of Let's say he starts your plan here at point A and he's going to put his plan for your life and bring you over here at point B. That may be that he's taking months, weeks or years, but in it all, there are places he's not going to show you because you won't want it. Somebody help me. There are potholes on the highways. There are bridges that are washed out and he's still got a plan. There's a detour that you may have to take and he's still got a plan. There may be a strickling of a disease or an affliction in your body. And if he shows you that all ahead, you're going to say, God, don't you have a plan A, B, and C? I think I'll take C instead of A. When I'd rather have God's perfect plan, and I want you to know that God never has a plan for your life, whereby He has not already made plans to help you through every detour, every valley, across every pothole, and build every bridge, because God is for you and not against you. Come on and praise the Lord with me. Now, it's simple for you to understand that the devil's plan, the Bible says, is to make sin look good, smell good, feel good, taste good. The Bible says, if you write the reference down in 1 Peter 5 and 8, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, is as a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. You with me, church? The devil... Why do you think that the advertising industry makes so much money and... People who sell the products, 
of clothes and cars and uh, jewelry and perfumes and uh, uh, boats and other things. And there's nothing wrong with having everything in perspective. But why do you think they spend so much billions of dollars trying to, to get you to purchase their items? It's simply because they want you to purchase their product. They make their profit because that's the plan they have is to make a living off of people. Well, now, I'm not against that, but what I am against is the devil comes to us and he makes sin look so attractive. Come on and help me here. Man, he, he, he puts it on the commercials. He puts it on the billboards. He puts it in your mind. He'll put it in a song. He'll help me preach here. He'll, he'll put it in somebody else's mouth. And I'm, if you buy this or if you go here or you attend this club or you hang out with this or you drink this item or you shoot this up, you thought you had a high or you thought you had a fix or you thought you just, you just go a little bit further and the devil's plan ultimately my friends, Jesus said in John 10 and 10, He comes to steal and kill and destroy. And our ability is to understand that God has a better plan. He has come that we might have life and we might have life more abundantly. I was shocked the other day. Surprised. When I found out that in one of the safari scenes and acreage and camps in Africa, and I believe Africa is the right continent, where tourists pay and go to drive their vehicles through that savanna or national park. They go to see the elephants and they go to see the giraffes and they go to see the lions and, and all, all different kinds of animals in their natural setting. Hippopotamus. And if there's a, a, a water nearby, there may be crocodiles. And according to the news, a young lady was in her car and they have signs all, all along the path where you're driving in the natural scenery. You don't take along one of their guides. You're allowed to, to drive, but they ensure that you lock your vehicle and that you keep your windows all the way up. Because as friendly and as docile as some of those animals seem, they have an animal instinct. Somebody say amen. They have an animal nature. That uh, so The Bible says that, that so many beasts can be tamed. Our tongue is the only one that we seem to... Uh, I don't know why I even went there. Oh. Uh, uh, it's just our nature, you know? So this young lady came upon a, a, a group of lions outside, resting midday. And uh, there, there was the lion and lioness, and maybe there were, there were others around. And she was so enthralled by this beast of beauty, and enthralled, so enthralled by the fact that they're just laying there and looking playfully, that she wanted to get a closer view. So she drove her, drove her car a little bit nearer to them. And she thought, you know what? They're so resting and such. I'm going to roll my window down so I can get a closer shot of it. And according to the news, out of nowhere, one of the lions came directly to her car and jumped into her window and totally attacked her until there was nobody nearby to save her and she lost her life. Very unfortunate. 
And may the Lord help people learn how to protect themselves even in those settings. But here's my point, and listen to me. The devil is not your friend. He may look good. He may put people in your lives that have some advice for you that sounds good. He may look like he's docile and he's your friend. Nothing's going to harm you. But the devil's natural nature is like the natural nature of a lion. He seeks to kill and steal and devour. But if you are covered by the blood of the Lamb and you listen to God's plan, that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. Help me praise the Lord. Oh, blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, l- l- let me just give you this verse that you're very familiar with, and, and I'll not tarry long. Jeremiah 29, 11, 11 through 13. Sometimes I read these verses so much, I don't remember the impact of them. Sometimes they just kind of roll off my tongue, and I fail to realize that I need it right now. That's why God sent it for me right now. And God says about Jeremiah in the midst of a chaotic people and a chaotic land and rebellious people who are heathens who are going to go into the enemy's hand because they refuse to listen to God. Difficult times now because of their disobedience. God says, I still have a plan if they'll repent. I wish somebody would say amen. amen. For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord. Thoughts of peace and not of evil. To give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all my, all your heart. And I'm not suggesting that this verse be changed in any way at all. It just dawned on me when I read it yesterday again that perhaps we we might need this to be said of this verse. We might need it to be said, then you will call upon me and go and pray to me and I will listen to you and you will seek me and find me When you search for me with all your heart, then we go back to the top. For I know the thoughts the Lord says that I think towards you. Thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. So many of us want to push button Jesus. Oh, help me, Lord. So many of us want to push button blessing. So many want want a Disney World experience serving the Lord. I've done paid my ticket. Put me with Mickey. Oh, I'm a preaching brother. My point is this. He said, I, if you, you call upon me and you will go and you will pray to me, I will listen to you. And I tell you that difficult time comes when we fail to respond to God's invitation to get closer to Him. Oh, somebody else say amen. My, 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 my. God, God did not tell. God did not tell The disciples, God in the form of Jesus, that I want you to cross the Sea of Galilee, I'll meet you on the other side, and uh, in between, something's going to happen. God said, at the end of the day, I call God, and meaning Jesus now, in the flesh, when he was here, 12 miles across the lake of Genesaret, also the Sea of Galilee. It's late in the evening. These are experienced sailors and fishermen. They hoist their sail, they get their rows ready. They follow the wind. About midway, a storm blew up out of nowhere. Because that, that contour, that land, that geography is such that midday or mid, midnight storms can just blow between those mountains and just funnel those winds so violently until it could capsize a vessel. depends on the size of it. And their vessel was in, 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 in such a state that they thought they were going to die. Jesus did not tell them that you're going to face a storm. And he also did not tell them, however... 
that in the middle of that storm, about 50 yards away from your boat, you're going to see a ghost-like figure. And you're going to think it's a ghost and it's going to scare you even more. But it won't be a ghost except the Holy Ghost in the form of Jesus Christ. And you're going to cry out to me and say, Lord, help us. We're sinking. And I'm going to walk to your boat. I'm going to get in your boat. I'm going to say to the water, peace be still. And everything is going to be calm and clear because I don't have to tell you what I'm going to do. Just trust me anyhow. Everybody say, Lord, I trust you. I like what he did with Lazarus, Mary and Martha. I like what he did when he, when, because I know the end of the story, and so do you. When Lazarus got sick, Lazarus is the brother of Mary and Martha. They're close friends with Jesus. They're just not casual acquaintance. He gets sick, and Jesus is in another town. Mary and Martha sends words to Jesus, your friend, your good friend, our brother. Is sick unto death. Please hurry. Jesus waits four days. And they're wondering, why would you do this, Jesus? When are you coming? Well, in the interim of the fourth day from the first, when news comes to Jesus and he delays deliberately, because he always knows what he's going to do. Help me, Jesus. The Bible says that Lazarus died. He died and the sisters were crushed. The, the, the mourners came in. Back then they had professional mourners that they paid to, to carry out the hurt and grief that they were so heavy to carry for them. They brought the food and they helped the family. During, during the, between the one and the fourth day, the Bible says they embalmed his body. And back then they, they, they embalmed with strips of cloth all the way like you would see somebody mummified. Strips of cloth all the way from the head to the toe. It, it's, it's going now the third day. And, and they, have, they have buried him. They have taken him to the family burial site. They have opened the mouth of the cave. They have put him where in bomb. They rolled a stone back and they covered the cave. And they're gone home. It's the fourth day. Most people are gone home. A few people linger just to comfort Mary and Martha. And here comes Jesus. Oh, because he doesn't have to tell you what's coming down. He didn't tell them that if you give me the four days... When he showed up, one of the sisters said, Lord, if you'd only been here, if you had only been here, my brother would not have died. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And Martha said, yes, I know that's going to happen in the day of the final resurrection. But no, Jesus said, I am the resurrection. Roll the stone away. They thought, Jesus, you must be crazy. Something's gone wrong with you because by now, not only has he been buried and embalmed, but there may be worms. His body is is, is so uh, uh, in such a state of decomposing until it's not the good idea. But Jesus comes by, stands in front of where they rolled the stone away and the tomb he was in. And he put his hand to his mouth, perhaps. And there are people all around now because they think, what is wrong with this Jesus? But what is wrong with Jesus is absolutely nothing. What is right with Jesus is that he never fails. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And the Bible said, Lazarus woke up and started out of the tomb. Oh, my, my, my. He don't have to tell you how bad it's going to be, but he'll show up and show you how good it is going to be. My Lord, my Lord, my Lord. 
how, how, many, how many of you know a mummified corpse can't praise God? Huh? I mean, and I like doing this, and I've done it with you before. But the way they mummified him and all, and they had cloth, little strips of cloth, uh, uh, covered his head, his face, his nose, his, 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 all, all his body. So he was like, you know, he, if he's going to come forth, he's going to have to come forth like this. He can't come forth like this, because they, they don't tie the boy together. He got, and he's trying to say, hello, everybody, but he got to cover his mouth. How many of you can't praise God like that? But I do declare some of you look like that some Sunday mornings. Some Sunday mornings, I look at some of y'all and I want to say, Hey, you over there, come forth. How many know God is worthy of our praise? He may not show up on your time, but He's never going to be late. He may not tell you when He's coming, but He'll come. Oh, my God didn't tell Abraham that one day I'm going to take the son you waited for 90 years. And I'm going to ask you to kill him. Abraham obeyed God, went up to the mountain, and God was just testing Abraham. Can I get an amen? God was making sure Abraham didn't love Isaac more than Abraham loved God. Sometimes you can like your house or your boat or your bank account. Come on and help me out here. Sometimes you can choose uh, your spouse or your children or your grandchildren. Nothing wrong with everything being in perspective. But the Lord going to test you every once in a while and say, you know what? You need to understand. Oh, help me, Lord Jesus. You need to understand if you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these things are going to be added to you. Help me, Lord. Second point. Second point very quickly. A vertical perspective will keep us from horizontal panic. This is, this is horizontal. You see, you see what I'm pointing? We, we are horizontal to each other here. I may be a little more vertical because I'm elevated. All right? So vertical means that it's me and God. God's up there. I'm here. God's with me. Vertical means the moon is above me or the sun is above me. That's the, that's the angle. Horizontal means like when you get up on your vacation or you're at the lake or you're at the uh, ocean and you see the sun rise on the horizon. And, and you and I have horizontal relationships. And that's good because we need to do what we're doing this morning, coming together. But God wants us to have a relationship with Him that's far more important than horizontal relationship. He wants us to have a living, breathing, daily relationship with Him in prayer, in reading scriptures, in getting a devotional in, in asking God to forgive our sin. Can I get an amen? We, we need Him to say, God, I want to partner with you today. I don't want you to partner with me because you got more power than I do. I want to partner with you. I want a vertical. I want an up and down, in and out, meaning blessing, vertical and not horizontal relationship. You see, I, I say that to you to tell you. Mm, help me, Lord Jesus. Job survived all that he survived because he had a pre-existing vertical relationship with God. Job had stored up prayers. He didn't just have camels and lambs and sheep and goat and money in the bank. He had prayed long before his sons and daughters were born. Can I get an amen? He would pray when they would throw parties and they might sin and he would pray. He would offer an offering unto God. Can I get an amen? Long before his world fell apart, he had a relationship with God that he could draw from the barns and the storehouse of heaven and say, God, you are the one who gives and you are the one who takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. You are the one who gave it to me in the first place. If you want me to have more, 
Your will be done. But I am going with Jesus all the way. You know, if, if, if you don't have a vertical relationship with God, you're going to judge God on your circumstances. If you don't have a tight prayer life, if you don't have a tight reading the Word so the Word can come in your life and help you, if you don't have some good Christian friends who know how to lift up your arms like Aaron and her lifted up Moses' arms. Can I get an amen? If you don't have, if you don't have some prayer and fasting time stored up, you don't just pray and fast when things go bad. You set aside some time when things are going good. Can I get an amen? It's like storing up treasures in heaven. You know you can't go to no bank and give them a check and say, cash this check, and you ain't got no money in that bank. Some of you didn't say, man, let me advise you, don't do it. Okay? And you know, especially, oh, help me, I was almost going to say, especially don't do that to the church. But the point of the matter is, you can draw from where you have store. And if uh, this morning, if you're going through a difficult time, it's all right for you to say to God, I give, I pray, I serve, I love, I worship, I'm not perfect. But my relationship with you, I want to make sure is right, God, so that when I need the blessings to flow, I'm not a stranger and I'm not a beggar. Yeah, 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 praise Him. Let, let, let me give you something else. Let me give you a third point. Discernment is needed to detect wrong advice from well-meaning people. Not all advice is good advice. Not even when the ones who give the advice think it's good advice. And even though Job's wife's advice was given with sincerity, it was still faulty. Faulty because she had seen how her husband had suffered. And so she told her husband, Oh, help us, Jesus. That you have suffered so much and exhausted all your resources waiting for God to help you. Put, if you will, on the screen, Job 1, 20 to 22. And the Bible says she had lost the same children he had lost. She had lost the same house he had lost. Give me an amen. Every, if they were mutual partners together in life and love and for till death do in part, she was just as much grieving. But she saw her husband in pain day and night. She saw the boils and she smelled the smell. And his friends, three of his friends showed up to give him advice. And not one of them had anything good to say about him. But friends like that, who needs enemies? Elphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. What mother would name their child that? Huh? The, the, the fact of the matter is, she had seen him suffer. She didn't want him to backslide, but it went from bad to worse. And she said, why don't you just curse God? Then Job arose, tore his robe, shaved his head, fell on the ground and worshipped. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, and naked I shall return there. The Lord gave, and the Lord has taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. Everybody read that 22nd verse with me on three. One, two, three. In all this, Job did not sin nor charge God with wrong. How many know sometimes in the flesh that's not easy to do? 
The first thing we want to do is change our view of God. And we, we think, God, you, we thought you said you're going to show up. We thought you said you'd deliver us from the valley, the shadow of death. We thought you said you'd help us with our bills. And then the devil shows up on the other side of your shoulder. And he says, go ahead and backslide and curse and drink it up and drug it up and go back to your life because God's not going to be true to his word. And yet I want to tell you this. The kind of overcoming life says, God... I do not have to have you be a great Santa Claus in the sky. I don't have you to be, God, some kind of vending machine where I get things all the time. You don't have to be my push-button God. Whether it's good, bad, indifferent, whatever it is, you will give me the grace to overcome what I need to. Somebody, somebody, praise the Lord. You know, his three friends shows up and says, you must have sinned. You must have lied. You must have cheated. You must have stole from the widows and the orphan. And yet it's the same God who said he was sinless. He was blameless. How many know God knows more about you than man does? Huh? And and, and the fact of the matter is, these, these advisors of his made his life more miserable. And you've got, you got to be careful who you take advice from. I, I read this story to the church in the first service, and I'll, I'll read it to you here. Real careful. A man had just finished his lunch in the middle of his work day. He was in his car driving back to his next appointment. And his mind drifted back to the previous night where he had a bitter argument with his wife. He and the night before, they had a trouble, heated argument. And it was an ongoing argument, unresolved conflict. So they got up the next morning. They didn't talk about it. They both went their separate ways. And he decided it was time to make up and make everything right and quit this argument going on. So he's feeling real guilty especially over some of the things he said. Feeling bad, he picked up his cell phone, hurriedly dialed home in the midst of a traffic jam where he could talk and the traffic is not flowing. And when the maid of the house answered the phone, he said, I'd like to speak to my wife. She responded, well, she told me she didn't want to be disturbed right now. Hmm. Curious, the husband asked. Doesn't want to be disturbed. The maid said, that's right. She's upstairs with her boyfriend and she told me she doesn't want to be interrupted. Infuriated, the husband lost it. I mean, you know, sometimes you lose it if you get bad news or the wrong news. He lost it. He said to the maid on the other end of the phone, you know where I keep the shotgun, don't you? Go get the shotgun, put two shells in it, then walk upstairs and kill them both. The maid laid down the phone, didn't hang it up, laid it down so he could hear. She got the double-barrel shotgun, walked upstairs. He listened. He heard two blasts, then waited. She came back down, calmly picked up the phone and said, Okay, it's done. They're dead. What do you want me to do with the bodies? He said, mad. He said, throw them in the pool, and when I get there, I'll take care of the rest of it. She said, but we don't have a pool. And he said, is this 728 3604. Not all advice is good advice. Huh? Can I, can, I, can I help you out here? Come to the music, if you will. Can I help you out? Let, let, let me help you out by telling you. You got people telling you, go ahead and marry him. Or go ahead and marry her. They got their flaws, they got their difficulty, but go ahead and marry him. Because once you marry him, they're going to start going to church with you, serving God, living for you, for Jesus and all that. So what you did is you, you kissed a frog, hoping he would turn into a prince. 
Next thing you know, he became a crocodile. Huh? Some, somebody says, uh, you know, I think this Ernie Madoff guy is a billionaire and he helps people make thousands of dollars in investments. And they don't really know the whole story of Ernie Madoff and what was going on with the stock market in him. And somebody gives you the advice not knowing, well, you ought to take that $10,000 and put it in Ernie Madoff's enterprise. Well, you know where Ernie Madoff is now? He's in jail because he made off with all they took. I'm trying to tell you. You got to be careful who you listen to. Somebody say, praise the Lord. And you know, sometimes the Lord will send us a warning. Hear me now. He will send us advice from people that we may not like, but we know what they're saying is true. Like he did with Nathan and David in the Old Testament when David committed adultery. Can I get an amen? Sometimes we need a word from the Lord, but we're looking for some hyper, super spiritual somebody from some great ministry or some large name or some big anointing to give us the word. We know our life is in need of help. We know we need wisdom. We know we're going through a rough place. We know we're facing some temptation. And God chooses the most unusual person or the most unusual circumstance and gives us the word. And sometimes we just get mad at God for who He uses to give us the Word. Somebody say amen to that. And Nathan was sent by God to David to tell David, David, your life and your kingdom is in a mess and you've had a whole year to fix this because you committed adultery with a man's wife. You also had him killed when... You found out that she was pregnant with your child. Not only that, you lied about it and then you married her. And Nathan knew that if I go and I tell David that, he could reject me and kick me out. But I want to tell you something. If your heart is right, if your heart is right and somebody comes with you with a word from the Lord and you may not like it, but it bears witness to what the Bible already says, say amen. If you've been praying in a month and a week or last week, that person comes or that call comes and God has said to you uh, so-and-so. And they've come and they've confirmed the word. Whether you like how it came or not, if it's in sync with the word of God, take the word of God. Give a Lord a hand clap and stand to your feet while you do it. Everybody, all over. All over. Put the last slide on the screen. I want you to get this. You may want to write it down. But here's what I want you to see. This is the end of the story. Read the book of Job sometimes. But I want you to see that no one can be compared to God when it comes to keeping His promises. So under that caption, if you want to write it and take it, no one, no other God, no human being, no professor, no doctor, no preacher can be compared to God when it comes to keeping His Word and His blessings. So you go to the last chapter of the book of Job, chapter 42. You go to the last few verses. And this is the end of Job's story. After he's been through, pardon the phrase, I don't mean to offend, after he's been through hell and back. After he's been criticized, scrutinized, falsely accused. But he says, I'm not going to curse God. Even though he blamed God, even though he wanted to die some days, the Bible says because of his faithfulness that the Lord accepted Job. Can I get an amen?
I don't know what you've been doing and where you've been and what you've said about God or how, how, what degree your faith is on the barometer of faith. But God will accept you if you will ask Him to. Not only that, God restores Job's losses. And number three, He increases Job's losses so that He gives him twice as much as He had before. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Man, if, if Elijah can pass down, pardon me, Elijah can pass down a double portion blessing to Elijah. And God, can pass down a double portion blessing and multiply Job's situation. Can I get another amen? If God could bring a man from the dead who was dead four days and by that time decaying, God, my friend, will increase your losses and bless you like you've never been before if you stand strong and stand true. Amen? And, and, and listen to me. When I tell you that the Bible says the last few verses, Job lived to be 140 years older after all this mess happened. Can somebody say amen? And God helped Sister Job. She had ten more children. Thank God he didn't double that. Huh? But 140 years more. And I'm saying to you this morning, do not give up. Do not run away. Do not backslide. Do not listen to wrong advice. Build your connection with the Holy Ghost. I don't care if the whole world's falling apart. God's still in control. Thank you, Jesus. Now raise up your hands and begin to praise Him. Sing, if you will. And as they sing, I want you to praise Him. Come on, in Jesus' name. Oh, hallelujah. In glory Come on, to talk glory. to Him out of your heart. Worthy is the Lord of all the glory forever. Holy is the Lord, crowned in glory to glory. Worthy terribly late. I'll go to this mic if you will. I want when they sing this again. It doesn't matter to me what your name is and how old you are or what you have or don't have. I love you. Doesn't matter to me how wrong you've been and what you've done that keeps you from climbing up higher. If you'll give it to God, He loves you more than I love you. Can I, can I get an amen here? And, and, and there are some of us who are in the middle of a mess because we listen to the wrong advice. Some of us are in the middle of a mess because we hooked up with the wrong person. Some of us are in the middle of a mess because we cut that connection off and it's the last resort. Can, I get, can, can anybody bear me witness here? Some of, some of us are in the middle of a mess because we expect God to tell us everything before we move ahead of time instead of walking by faith. When they sing this again, 
I want us to spend about three or four minutes around this altar. I, I, I want you to come and lift your hands to God. And I want you to praise Him whether you feel like it or not. I want you to get out of your comfort zone. But Pastor, it's not my habit to go to the altar every Sunday. Well, change your habit one Sunday so you can get a blessing that bless you the rest of your life.